What's up, guys? I'm Jamie Messina, and this is the Stories That We Tell podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Mike Zildjian. He is so amazing. We had the best conversation. He's an author of the book, Zilosophy on Golf. Also, he has the Zilosophy podcast. And um, yeah, we just had a really awesome conversation about all things life. And um, I'd like you guys to take a listen in. All right. All right. So we have Mike Zildjian here. Um, We both grew up in the same town, a little town, uh, Watertown, Massachusetts, which is little but big, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's small uh, geographically. First of all, hello out there. (laughs) Sorry. Small geographically, um, but a big population and uh you know it's really cool it's 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 a town with the dichotomy that it's very small but it feels like a big town you know um i as i came here i just you know had all these flashbacks we're across the street from the old lasad compound i know (laughs) aka the perkins school for the blind so uh yeah a lot of childhood memories in this neighborhood yeah that's cool well um so we're right outside of boston but i wanted to talk to mike today just because well, first of all, author um, author of Philosophy of Golf. Philosophy on Golf, yeah. Yeah, which I was looking into last night, and I'm I'm gonna get I have to get a copy today. Oh shoot, I should have brought you one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'll yeah, bring, what I'll, are you doing? I'll, I'll <laughs> give kidding. you one. <laughs> no, but That's and and, if, and as we go on, I know what usually I would just at the end, but if people want to get that, they can get it on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon and Kindle paperback and audiobook. If you like my oh, voice, I do like your. I'll, I'll do audiobook. I, I have a few uh, little extra coins I'll there. I'll give you a hard copy too. You don't have to pay for that. <laughs> and then also the philosophy podcast. So mm-hmm. um, I just want to jump right into it with you. So what yeah, what is philosophy like? What is that all about? What does like where does that come from? Yeah. So um, I grew up here, as you said, in the small town outside of Boston. Went to school in California. Wanted to get into the uh, music business, so I did. And I spent uh, about 20 years in the music business, concert promoter, artist management, uh, repping music for licensing on TV and film. And had this great career that everybody thought was really cool. I thought was really cool, and but it wasn't really fulfilling. It was mostly building bank accounts and egos. So <laughs> um, I actually usually don't tell this part of the story that I just remembered. It's a key part. A friend of mine who was a a business partner in the music business said to me one day when I was in my mid thirties, now my mid forties, have you ever thought about what your legacy is going to be? You know, I was married young, but divorced young, no kids. Um, But I've always felt, you know, some people feel like they need to have a family or kids to leave a legacy. I don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think you feel that way. Although we come from very strong families uh, that can be a legacy for sure. And I know you want to get into my family's history, which <laughs> is <do>. clearly <laughs> a legacy there, right? But for me, uh, it was the first uh, My answer was no. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. I was just living this fast lifestyle, hanging out with celebrities and partying and having a good time. Um, and then a few years later, the Boston Marathon bombing happened. And I was in California. Uh, we're literally just... Uh, a few steps away from where they caught the mm. jerks who did it. But it shook me to my core all the way across the country because it literally hit close to home. Right. So for me, there was a clear message that day, which was we can't keep treating each other like this. Mm. And somebody's got to do something. A lot of people got to do a lot of things. And I'm not willing to be sit on the sidelines and lament how terrible we're leaving things for future generations. Even though I don't have kids, I have nieces and nephews by blood, and then you know six of them, and then another sixty or seventy others that call me Uncle Z yeah. um, <laughs> that are friends' kids. So um, you know, I do care a lot about how we leave this place for future generations and how we steward this society to make it work. And so um it took a couple years but basically at that moment i decided i'm going to do something different and i finally got to that point where as an entertainment professional my friends were like well you know i knew i wanted to go and talk to schools and things like that which i'm doing now and i have the podcast as you said but i didn't know really know how to get from point a to point b so i decided well i'll just write a book (laughs) but i'm not a writer (laughs) And I have no idea how to do that. So I had to figure it out. And in writing the book, Philosophy on Golf, 
which is a book about self-awareness and making good choices mm -hmm. and honest but empathetic self-evaluation. Um, I learned a lot about that practice of how to do it. I couldn't have written the book without practicing the things I wrote about in the book. So, um, yeah, that was the launch pad that sort of bridged the gap between entertainment professional and this guy who's going to bring positivity and awareness and some good things to talk about and think about to the world so that maybe one day we can actually work our way out of this mess that we've created. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I have chills when you were talking about the Boston Marathon because that was kind of a key point for me as well mm. in what we're doing. Um, you know, like you said, we are steps away from where they caught them. I was down at the finish line, like not exactly where the bombs went off, but I had friends that were already there that I was going to meet. And so when that moment happened and you find yourself in, you know, I'm in Boston, I'm trying to call my dad who's home mm. and the phone line kept dropping. And it's like the fear that I felt that day uh, was animal type fear. You know, I had never felt that before and yeah. I, I hope to never feel it again, but yeah. it also projected me or just propelled me into this lifestyle as well. Cause it solidified like, Hey, you don't know, what can happen literally you could be having fun watching your friends run across the finish line and next thing you know your, your life's gone or completely different yeah and yeah i had a, a one of my college one of my best friends from college his parents were like my west coast parents when i lived out there their best friend was at the finish line and got his leg watching yeah. his daughter run got his leg blown apart he was able to keep it he survived first of all which was a miracle kept mm -hmm. his leg He's walking again, playing golf again. But yeah, I think to me, that was a key point too, that um, as we're here, might hear the mail drop through <laughs> yeah. the slot in the background. Um, none of us know how long we have, right? That's just a fact we live with and we don't talk about it nearly enough because people are confronted by death. And I get it. I think we all feel that. But the thing is, is that we're all going that way someday. Yeah even though we don't know what happens after that, right? We all have our theories and our hopes or whatever. But the the fact remains that we don't know how long we have here. Mm -hmm. And so while we're here, we should bring our best to whatever it is we do and our best to this world so that we can help other people. And in doing that, as you've learned, I, I would imagine quickly, the more you help others, the better it is for you. Yeah. Something that the Dalai Lama calls wise selfishness, which I try <laughs> to practice all the time. Yeah, I like that wise selfishness. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and when we die, we don't have money. You know what I mean? The money yeah. is not is a Well, that was another key point to me as I went through the process of like sort of soul searching and thinking about what I wanted to do. And to me, I was, you know, going to be, when the marathon bonding happened, I was going to be turning 40 the next year. So it was like, I had that midlife crisis point of like, what do I want my next half of my life to be about? Mm -hmm. The first half's been great. It's been fun. I've met a lot of people. I've done a lot of things. I think I've done, done some positive things, but really, you know, what do I want the rest of it to be about? And, and I decided I wanted it to be about this. And in that awareness of we don't know how much time we have, I realized too that like no matter what you choose to do, it's not easy. This isn't an easy thing, this game of life. It never gets easy. Mm -hmm. It can get easier if you practice the right things. But if it's not easy, then why not just choose something that may be outlandish um, and, and that might actually make a difference one day? Right. That's okay. All right. So, yeah. You know, and we are connected through another deep piece, too. I don't know if it is. You know what? I'm going to stop asking if it's okay to bring it up because. Yeah, you can bring Like I said, so, there's nothing that's not on the table. <laughs> we both have um, a young cousin that has passed away from cancer. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I don't know about you, but for me, that was the first slap across the face that I got. Um, just kind of what my purpose here on earth is while we have this time here, you know? Yeah. Well, for me, it was. Um, it was kind of like that too. That happened more recently. That just happened earlier this year. But I, you know, as I was starting this, I had realized that I had been doing a lot of charity work through the Mason's Lodge that I joined when I moved back here in 2015. Um, but I wanted to do more. I, as I said, I don't have kids, but I've always enjoyed mentoring young people. So I wanted to be a big brother mm -hmm. and I got accepted to the program, but I couldn't, um, I couldn't do it because I traveled too much and I never know when I'm going to be around and you can't, you know, you can't be flaky with kids I'm like that. I'm laughing because I did the big sister thing <laughs> and I couldn't do it for the same reason. Yeah, they need yeah. stability, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of yeah. it. 
Um, but it, I found this cousin that I had not really known um, who was, didn't have a dad in his life and was sick and had cancer. And, you know, this year I spent six weeks with him as he um, was on his way out, basically living at Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And again, those types of things are incredibly difficult, but they are also a blessing as nasty as they are. They teach us important lessons, which is that, again, we don't know how much time we have, any of us. And it reminds us which what things are really important. You know, mm -hmm. like if we're lucky enough one day to actually be lying on our deathbed and thinking about what was my life about and what did I do and how did I make a difference, most of the stuff that we worry about on a daily basis is not going to be on that list of things you're thinking about at that right. point. Exactly. Right. So why can't we bring that awareness to our everyday lives of like what's really important? How do we treat each other? How do we respect ourselves? How do we respect others? How do we work together, even though we don't always agree or like each other, mm -hmm. but we can still respect each other and work together and figure things out together and help each other and support each other through, again, it an incredibly difficult game. That's why I use golf as the first thing because golf's an incredibly difficult game. You never, yeah, you I can never that. perfect it. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible. The best golfers in the world miss shots all the time. Mm -hmm. And we as human beings, no matter how good we get at playing this game of life, we're going to make mistakes for yeah. the, as long as we live and breathe. That's just the way it is. How do we learn from them? How do we take those lessons forward with us and stay present so that next time the thing comes up, we make a better choice and we do a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Man, we should have became friends earlier. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do anything about that, but we can now. Yeah. I mean, we have another really deep connection. You know, I know your brother and your sister very well. I mean, yeah. we, you're a little bit younger than us, but we grew up together. And your brother, Jason, is someone I've known for a long time. And then your sister, Lauren, and I went to high school yeah. together. And um, the Messina family has been a... a a great family in Watertown for a long time. So it's it's cool to have this new connection with the Messina family yeah. that's completely different than this. We've got to bring Jason. He gave me that Buddha. Um, I love he, it. Yeah. Love it. And he was out in LA with you at, well, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. He we kind of got a little me bit there. into the spirituality aspect, self-realization fellowship church. Have you ever been there out there? No, I haven't. Super, um, it's a, you know, a very mindful place. And yeah. so my brother got me on that path. So. I was already on it, but it was cool to have an older sibling that was also interested. For sure, for yeah. sure. And, you know, and he went through a really tough thing, too, with his partner passing suddenly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really, I think, caused him to reevaluate his life and what was important to him and what did he, what did he want to do moving forward. Uh, you know, a lot of times we think in life that these things are terrible and they shouldn't happen. But I take the stance that there's no mistakes even the most terrible things that happen, there's a reason for it and there's a lesson to learn and mm -hmm. to take with us as we move forward. So um, it's not easy and it's not easy to talk about. It's not easy to deal with the difficult stuff, but there's a lot of difficulty and we have to figure out a way. And the more we can support each other, the better we can be at it. Yeah, I actually think that's where someone like you comes in for life and myself, at least, or at least that's what I hope is that if somebody is out there going through one of those times and, you know, they might not be that aware yet, like, or ready to accept that, how to work through it and learn from it, even if it's so horrible, you know, a lot of people, yeah. the only thing they can think of is this, why? Yeah, this, why shouldn't, this shouldn't be. Yeah. And so that's the lesson of acceptance. If you're resisting something, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, or a middle thing, you know, you're not accepting what is. Mm -hmm. um, my cousin who lost her son is having a tough time with that understandably as anybody would but the fact is he's not coming back in this lifetime i believe he's still here in spirit i've seen many signs that that prove it to me uh i look forward to seeing him when it's my turn to, to yeah. be called to the other side uh but until then you know i take those painful lessons and try to be better Mm -hmm. And try and bring be my best. That's really what it comes down to, right? Is like, how do we find a way to just do our best one day at a time mm -hmm. and simplify things? Life is incredibly complicated, but if we simplify it, whether it's a nutrition thing or anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
eat making good choices. Like I want to eat chocolate cake all the time, <laughs> but that's not <laughs> a good choice, right? Like right. it it hurt literally physically hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's all the unseen pain that you don't realize until days or weeks later. Of, mm-hmm. You know that you have to find your way out of. But so. Um, you know, I think it's just about simplifying, making good choices one moment at a time, one day at a time. And the more we, we simplify things, the easier it gets to play this tough game. Yeah. Yeah. So let's make a little pivot. Sure. We're talking about your family, but let's pivot a little. I want to talk about the symbol thing because sure. I did a little bit of research about it. And number one, the whole like um, idea or what the word even means I think is pretty cool. And then I just kind of looked into how your family got here and what happened. Can you just tell me a little bit, like tell me the important parts to you about that? Yeah. First of all, I want to say that um, I get asked about this a lot and, uh, and people always feel bad. Uh, we're getting some cat noise in the background, which is fine. A little, little music for the show. She won't shut up. So I'm going to put her in the room. Um, But the, I'll keep talking while Jamie's putting her cat away. Um, The thing is to me is it's my family heritage, so it's a really good thing. And although many times I start doing a philosophy talk and people ask about this first, uh, one thing I learned at a young age is that, you know, if this Zildjian thing can be a platform for people to listen to me a little bit more, then I'm happy to use Mm -hmm. that tool that way. So there's, there's, uh, and I enjoy talking about it. It is my family. So the story goes that there was an alchemist in the 1600s in Turkey, um, and I believe the family name at the time was Kazanjan, uh, but he was an alchemist, as most people were alchemists were doing at that time. They're figuring out how to make gold and things like that, and how to play with different alloys. He came up with this alloy that still remains a family secret to this day. Um, he took that alloy to the Sultan of Turkey and was able to get an audience with the king, and and the Sultan. He, banged on it or whatever. I don't know if he knew, he must have known at some point that it made this unique sound that sounded just different than everything else. And so basically the short version of that story is Sultan said, you work for me now and your name is Zildjian, <laughs> right? As the Kings did at that time, you were called by your job mm-hmm. and Zildjian literally translates to symbol Smith or son of a symbol Smith, mm-hmm. the Zil being symbol in Turkish, the DJ being a craftsman a sound that means craftsman in Turkish and the IAN being an Armenian uh, at the end of an Armenian surname that means son or daughter of. Mm-hmm. So they made he made symbols for the Turkish court and they used them in battle to scare the crap out of the enemy as they approached by really? making a ton of noise. Um, and then somehow, just a few years later, five years later, was able to get a pardon from the king. I don't know what he had on the king or some, somebody <laughs> in the court, but he started his own private business called Zildjian Symbols in Turkey in 1623. And then uh, cut a few hundred years uh, into the future in the early 20th century, so in the late 1920s, um, my great uncle was supposed to, was the next in line. It was always passed from eldest son to eldest son, as you did in, in those ancient times. Um, he was the next in line to take over the Zildjian Empire, whatever, business. He didn't want to go back to Turkey. He was already in Quincy with my grandfather. They were making candy. <laughs> and they he apparently loved America and this new world and mm-hmm. the whole thing. So um, he had an uncle come eventually came over and taught them how to make symbols and on the same oven they were making candy in the day and then started making symbols at night and started uh, what is now today the longest continuously family-run business in the United States. It's crazy. It's always been a family-run business Um, and he my great uncle my grandfather soon after left the business my great uncle was the businessman and the hard worker uh, and he was a really brilliant guy. And he's the one who, there, even through the Great Depression, turned the, the company into what it is today by traveling around with a suitcase and going on trains and mm. hanging out with drummers like Gene Krupa and Louis Belson and all those crazy old jazz cats. <laughs> and they innovated a lot of new symbols and you know, basically turned it into what it is today, which is now the 
biggest and most famous brand in the world as far as symbols, there's really only three big names. There's Zildjian and there's Sabian, which is part of the same family that split off in 1980 and went to Canada. That's a long story that I won't get into, but basically <laughs> they have the same family secret. They mm -hmm. make the same level of symbols. And then, you know, for rock drummers, like a really loud cutting sound, a lot of guys like pasty symbols as well. But Zildjian and Sabian, I don't know, I'm guessing, but probably take up about 60, 70% of the market share of symbol sales in the world. That's pretty like that. cool. It yeah, is. it's a cool heritage. And that's why I don't yeah, I mind like, talking yeah, about, about it. it. And again, you know, if that causes people to listen to me more and now have their attention, I can talk about the stuff we were just talking <laughs> right. about earlier about doing your best and being aware and making good choices and working together. Then, you know, that's a great platform to launch that, sure. that conversation from. Have you ever read The Alchemist, the book? I have. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. me too. I have, um, this is, um, you know, the word that he uses. What is it? I don't it is remember. written. It's, it is written, yeah. but it's in uh, Arabic on my arm. It's, uh, yeah. I forget right now because I'm on the spot. But yeah. one of my favorite books. So when they started talking about the alchemist, your um, whoever you're related to, I was like, ooh, it really got my attention. <laughs> yeah, and so alchemy to me, I went on a trip with my mom a couple of years ago, right after the Boston Marathon bombing. Actually, we went to Spain on a thing called the uh, Camino de Santiago, which is an ancient pilgrimage to. You walk from France all the way to the west coast of Spain to see the uh, the remains of um, the Apostle James. Santiago, I think it's James. I forget. I might be screwing that up. But anyway, we didn't walk. Yeah, I was the youngest on the trip by like oh, 30 okay. <laughs> years. We went on an old people's bus. But there was a lot of stuff on that trip about alchemy and Templars and where they came into alchemy. And that's something that really caused me to look two things, one back at my family history and heritage and this alchemist, but they mm. were very spiritual people yeah. too. They weren't just like playing with metals. There was a whole universal mm. thing going on of spirituality. And then the whole Templar thing that came in on that trip, because that's basically a path that the Templars protected so the pilgrims could go peacefully and not be robbed along the way. Um, they created the first banks because of that. They would give their money to someone at the beginning of the journey, and then they'd have a slip, and they could get it back at the end of the journey, yeah. which was an interesting thing. But that Templars were basically um, wiped out in the 1300s by the Catholic Church and the King of France. But the modern version of that is Freemasonry, and that's why my brother was a Mason, and I thought, oh, I should look into this a little bit more. And I got into that, which has also caused me – it's a place where um, – you know, guys really hold each other accountable to bring our best to the world and to to treat e treat the world like we treat each other as brothers. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's all sort of a jumping so around cool. to all different points of my journey of like all that. I it's mean, really cool, though, even just talking about al alchemy and like how that. I don't know, your whole explanation there and just where you are now, there's no mistakes. In, in no, no. I, I we, we had a text string going with our buddy uh, Frank McManus the yeah. other day. Shout out to Frank. Um, <laughs> where I said, you know, I, I, I stopped believing in coincidences a long time ago. And one of the, a lot of the things happened on that trip. I mean, just things that, that can't be explained. I mean, literally at the end of the trip, I'm off by myself standing on a little street on a cloudy day. And there were so many coincidences, I'm doing air quotes, that happened <laughs> on this trip that were just crazy for the whole group, including that there were 13 of us, including 12 plus the guide, mm. which was a whole weird thing in the Bible, <laughs> yeah, right? I was yeah. like, what's going on here? Oh, man? my God. <laughs> and so at the end of the trip, I'm just standing there looking at the sky, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. This is all in my head. I'm not even talking out loud. I don't know what's going on, but just whatever's going on up there, whoever's responsible for this, thank you. And I swear to God, at that moment, the clouds parted, and the sun shone down directly on me in like a 20-foot <gasps> circle. Yeah. And I felt this feeling of you're welcome. Oh, man. And I was like, wait, what? Did that just happen? Am I, you know, you start to have those, yeah. and your brain starts to analyze these things. Like, that's not possible. That's not real. And I'm like, but I was standing here, and it definitely just happened. What the heck was that? Right? And so that definitely caused me to look into spirituality more and more, which I've done over the last few years. And, again, you know, it all leads you to 
what you just said. There's no accidents. We are being guided by higher powers, including our little cousins who've passed mm-hmm. to the other side who are now angels that look over us and kind of send us messages and nudge us in certain directions. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get signs from the other side all oh, the time, whether you're sure. on the right track or not. Yeah. Right. Oh, that, absolutely. That make it clear one way or the other. Keep going this way or, hey, stop going that way. Absolutely. For sure. Um, all right. So I have a question for you because sure. the idea of me making this podcast to begin with was about the stories that we tell, like stories that we tell ourselves, you know, from when we were little to either hmm. bring us to a good place or hold us back from something yeah. and then taking those stories and how you overcome them and then resharing them with others to help them in some way. Sure. So was there a part in your life where there were these old stories from whatever that were either holding you back or maybe pushing you in the right direction? Yeah. I think that we don't get rid of those. <laughs> they just learn to pay attention or not depending mm-hmm. on whether they help you move forward or not. Um, I think you and I are both similar that we're by nature very shy people. Yes. <laughs> I don't like being in the spotlight. I think you've shared that pretty publicly. You don't particularly care for it either. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be sitting in the background listening, but I can't help from there. Um, so I do it, and I've had to overcome a lot of those stories in order to do it. Growing up here in this town, I always knew I was different than everyone else, but at that time, there was not really a uh, – like I, I, all I wanted to do most of high school, all I tried to do was fit in. Right. I just wanted to be normal, even though I knew I wasn't right. <laughs> yes. Like, um, and you know, looking back on those stories of that, of like, why is it so important to fit in and be normal? And why don't we celebrate each other's uniqueness more? Um, and so, you know, I'm not the person that most people see me as, um, and, and that's an interesting thing that I think you've probably realized, too, is like there's a difference between how the world sees you and how you see yourself. Right. Because nobody sees the, from the inside out like you do or like I do. And we all have that in common. Nobody sees anything like we do. Only us. Right. Mm-hmm. We can share our thoughts and feelings, but I'll never know what it's like right. to be Jamie Messina. You might even have a different interpretation when I tell you my thoughts. and feelings. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I think that we all have stories that that block us. Um, you know, self-criticism is a big thing for me and for a lot of people. I wrote about it pretty openly and honestly in my book. Uh, Philosophy on Golf is a golf book where you score yourself to par on every chapter and there's 18 chapters, so it's set up like a golf course. But the, the chapter I gave myself the worst score was self-criticism because mm-hmm. I can be incredibly critical of myself. And what I found is that when I'm being overly critical, that doesn't really help me. It, it stops me um, because it makes me feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy enough. Uh, I'll give you a, a, an example um, of a local Watertown example. I was at the went to the Thanksgiving Day football game to support my old friend Andrew Scopus on uh, coaching at, at Watertown High. And Jamie Venezia came up to me, mm. uh, who's a guy that we both know from Watertown. And he said, hey, dude, I saw the videos that you've been putting out and watch them with my kids and telling them like, hey, this is a guy I grew up with. You know, he's got some really good things to say. You know, thinking from where I was back in high school to where I am now in that conversation was just weird because, as you know, I think uh, when you're doing this stuff, half the time you're like, does anybody even really give a shit about what I'm doing or saying? And then those moments are really important, right? When it's someone that you wouldn't expect, it's like, hey, dude, like these videos are really cool and I'm showing them to my kids and it's helping me and them or whatever, even just for a few moments. Like Mm -hmm. that means the world to me. It means everything to me um, to do that. But, you know, in the moments of being overly self-critical and I'm not good enough or who am I to say these things, that doesn't help me continue to do it, right? So I have to ignore that or not necessarily ignore it, accept it that it is part of me and then, and then just tune it out. Mm-hmm. Like, right? uh, that's ego talking. And I try and come from a, to everything that I do from a higher spiritual place where I use intuition. I wrote the book. I didn't even, you know, it's weird to me. I can say this to you and hope people out there get this, but I didn't even write the book. I just sat there, looked up <laughs> and like the same, whatever, whoever, whatever was there on that day in Spain and all those other moments that I won't share because it would take hours in my life. All right, guys, tell me what to say, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just 
that's the way I see myself is I'm just a channel. I'm just a conduit that, you know, that even higher beings are sort of using me to do this work here on, on earth. And that's, you know, that's why I do it is, is I feel like this is my purpose now. I never felt that way. I always enjoyed being in the, the concert business and I always enjoyed stuff I was doing in the music business. It was a cool job. Yeah. Uh, right. But, you know, people would say to me when I was going to work three 15 hour days in a row on a concert weekend, Hey, have fun. I'd think to myself, well, screw you. I don't tell you to have fun when you go to work. Right. And I was like, well, why don't we do that? Exactly. Right. Why don't right. we do things for work that we actually enjoy and care about? And, um, so I took the leap to do this and it's been in a lot of uh, financial peril over the last few years, but it's worth it because there's no money in the world that could ever, uh, ever be worth more than, than those moments with Jamie Venezia or the other, or the one with the kid at Watertown high that wrote me this long email that said, you know, I went to a classroom, Miss Honig's class. And, mm-hmm. And said, this kid wrote me this long email that said I changed his life, that he was in a really dark place. And uh, he realized that he was choosing to be there and he didn't need to choose to be there anymore and that he could free himself mm. and choose happiness and joy and just go live his life. Now, that moment of awareness is great. And I'm very thankful for that. Obviously, you know that that takes a lot of work to put that into practice from there. Um, but the fact that I can reach a kid like that yeah. And change everything just in that one moment or give him the opportunity for himself to change everything. There's no money that, that will ever replace those moments. Yeah, exactly. And even if it's just one person, I think it's worth it, you know? Yeah. And so to go back to your question, we all have these stories that run in our head. And it's like, but we're creating these stories. So are we creating stories that that make us better, that allow us to be our best? Or are we creating stories that hold us back? For a lot of us, we're creating and then listening to the stories that hold us back because it's safer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people talk about fear of failure, and I've thought for a long time people are way more scared of success than they are of failure. Yeah. <laughs> we're exactly. all wired to think we're going to fail anyway for whatever reason of our own self-criticism, right? And it's easy to fail. Like, oh, I, that just feeds into my BS story of I'm not good enough and blah, blah, blah. But when you actually break through that and then you break through into the unknown of success of like, breaking down that wall, then what? Well, now you have to recreate everything and that's scary as hell. But it's also amazing and that's also how we allow ourselves to do the things that we want and how we bring our best to the world and how we, you know, on a broader scale, if we want this world to be better for future generations, then we have to rethink almost everything because the way it's working is not sustainable for future generations. Yeah, I agree. That's good. That's more people need to join us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and be brave enough to go, you know, that nagging feeling of I should do something. I should do something different. I should do something about this. I should do something that matters to people. I should, you know, listen to that story. Right. Listen to do that it. intuition of like, be brave. To, this is not easy and for the faint of heart, for sure. I don't recommend it for everyone. Because I have had to rethink everything and start over in my 40s of like, who am I as a person? Who do I want to be? How do I want to be seen in the world? How do I want to see myself? All of those conversations that are incredibly confronting, um, you know, that's not an easy journey, but it's an incredibly worthy one. Because Mm -hmm. if you take it on, you'll get to places that you literally never imagined you'd be. I mean, I never thought I'd be a writer. I had no desire to be a writer or a podcaster or now developing a TV show. Right. As soon as I released the book, people started asking me, are you going to do a TV show? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) I don't want to be on TV. I'm a private person. I like my private life. And now I'm like, shit. Well, that's a platform that I could totally reach more people Mm -hmm. and tell this story and so now I have to do it. And I'm like, oh, well, whatever. There it is. <laughs> yes. What's the worst that could happen, <laughs> exactly. right? People don't like the show. Okay, great. I'll do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, I definitely feel, um, appreciate that you're... Wait, are we on now? Or is yeah, we're on. Oh, okay, we're, we're back. We're do- I'm <laughs> quick. Yeah, we're having all <laughs> kinds of... Doing all that. Um, so... 
first, before I ask you my question. But like, uh, back to that point, I'm proud of you for doing this. You know how to do a podcast. No idea. So what? Yeah, no idea. Just do it. And I actually it's told not him that hard to figure out. That's like, a, uh... a laptop and a microphone and you start talking and yes. see what happens. Exactly. I keep every bit. I, a, we're working through it, right? You just show up yeah. and you get better every day. You do your best. Time. Exactly. That's it. And you learn and, you know, hopefully, and I, I think I know you, I don't know you that well, but I know you well enough to know that. You're building a platform, like you said, that for people to feel like out there, like it's okay mm-hmm. to have the thoughts and feelings they have, and then that hey, here's a way past that stuff. Yeah. That's important conversations to have publicly, for especially for shy people like you and I, because we can mm-hmm. share from a perspective that a lot of people out there would get. Like, I do not. I I love these types of conversations. I've always loved them, but they've always been in private, right? Exactly. With my closest friends and family. Um, to do them publicly is a much more makes us much more vulnerable, but it's also much more helpful to more people out there. Yeah, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy because I feel that the people closest to you sometimes don't understand why. But at the same time, for me anyway, um, it really connected me to a purpose. And before I found a purpose, I was just, you know, I was really unhappy right. and miserable in myself. And then when I realized, okay, there's more to life for you. Maybe you are here to spread a message and help other people not feel alone because so many people are just, you know, just miserable their whole life or end their lives because they don't feel connected to something. And if I could just help one person feel connected. That's it. That's the biggest thing. And the biggest thing that we don't talk about enough in this country. I just put a video out on my YouTube channel. The Zilosophy channel on YouTube. Yeah, plug it. They wanted Zilosophy? Yeah, which is spelled like philosophy but with a Z. Um, But Zilosophy on depression because what you just said I think is huge. I think that's really what leads to these bombings and these uh, shootings, whether they be at schools or bars or whatever, that people just feel disconnected. Mm -hmm. They feel like they don't matter. And I think that we need to have a conversation, a public conversation. We all feel like that sometimes. Even those of us who do this kind of work and we think we're, they think we're positive all the time. Right. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I lie in bed staring at the ceiling going, does anybody even care yeah. about what I'm doing? Does it even matter? Right. Less and less as you move forward down the path that we're on now. But the point is everybody feels like that sometimes. And we don't talk about it. And we don't normalize it to have people say like, it's okay. I feel like that too. Like how do, how can I help you keep moving forward? Mm-hmm. That's, and how do I support you to know that you do matter to me and to the world? I, I recently had a friend that I met in Australia, bartender dude, but we remain friends, you know, not like close friends He's across the world. Now he's in England, but he was sharing some, some interesting stuff on Facebook. And I reached out and was like, are you okay, dude? And he said, you know, there's no easy way to say this. But I tried to kill myself. Mm. And I was like, dude, no, yeah. please don't do that. Like, I'm glad you weren't successful, number one. And number two, you know, I don't know you that well, but you matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you got a lot of friends that are a lot closer and family that are a lot closer than I am. But, like, it makes a difference to me yeah. that you're here. This is not easy. I need guys like you that help me laugh and see, you know, that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, um, as you can see, I get emotional about that because, uh, you know, it's just so hard, right? Like, we all feel that way. And we've all had those moments of, like, I don't matter. Nobody would care if I was gone. But we don't get the perspective of, like, the other people that see us. So, like, oh, we actually care a shitload (laughs) whether you're here or not. Because, again, this isn't easy for me. I want people here that can help support me. And that we can support each other, right? So um, I think what you touched on is incredibly important, the, the, the part about feeling connected. Mm-hmm. And, and in this social media age, um, there's a psychologist who said something last night, one of our Masonic meetings, who said that uh, really what's going on with social media is just people that want to feel connected to things. And so, you know, this is the very beginning of that whole thing, that things never existed on this planet before until just a few years ago. So it's gone crazy early on, but I think that it'll eventually even itself out and people realize, oh, I'm using this thing to feel connected, but it's actually causing me to feel more disconnected 
maybe I should get back to real connections with people <laughs> yes. and talk to people and sit down with people and put my phone away and actually live my life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I also believe, you know, there's people we're important in the social media age and I'm not saying like we're important, but our, to prove or to show the proper way to use the channels, yeah. you know, instead of showing up and just adding to the negativity and things that are happening, yeah. we have the ability to show up and throw a wrench in that and really like gives people some, for some people, your videos or my videos are the only positive things that they hear or see all day. Right. You know? And so I take that very seriously, not serious. I don't take myself seriously, but it's important, yeah, well, you, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. No, I, I hear you completely. I mean, but that's the thing, right? It's like you and I are grounded enough where because we come from a shy background and a self-doubting personal background, we're never going to be too self-important, right? Because <laughs> underlying all that stuff we put out there in the public, I still feel like I'm not good enough, right? Yeah, <laughs> like that, me too. That's never going to go away. But mm -hmm. I don't let that drive me. What drives me is that I can, what you just said, like, mm -hmm. hey, there's someone out there. If, if I do a talk for hundreds of people, there may only be one that gets it, but that could be the most important one. That could be the one that changes everything. The next president or, you yeah. Know. Or on the other side, that could be the one that we save from hurting a bunch of other people yes. and, and, and ultimately hurting themselves too in the process. Yeah. Because That's when we hurt others, we are all connected, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And when we hurt others, it does hurt us. Yeah. We feel disconnected, but we're not, we're completely connected. And that's the crazy time we're living in is, um, how do we get back to the primal thing that we know we're all connected to each other, that we're all just literally, I mean, science has proven this. We're all just made of energy. 99.999% energy. Mm -hmm. Our bodies, this table, this microphone, the laptop, all of it. So we know enough about energy to know that all energy is connected. You stick your finger in a socket, you'll yeah. find out real quickly about <laughs> energy, right? So literally, we are all connected. We feel each other's pain. We feel each other's angst. Um, but we don't talk about that. We don't think about it. And that's where people like you and I come in that are just, like you said, here to wake people up and, and put positive things on social media that hopefully cause people to go, oh, there's more things out in the world than this thing that I stare at every day. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's probably a bad thing as a former marketer and someone who's done marketing, I don't really engage a lot on social media. Mm -hmm. I post things and then when people comment or like, then I engage, but I don't go scrolling through and look at my Facebook feed or my Instagram feed. I don't care. And it's not like I don't care. There's several people on there that I'd like to keep up with and see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But most of it is just garbage. Yeah. Of people showing off or creating a further divide in a political mm -hmm. conversation or a religious conversation or whatever. Like, I just don't have time for that. You can't stay positive when you're stuck in that world all the time. Exactly. I actually edit my newsfeed to only show certain people. I need to do that. Yeah, you can do that. Just so you guys know. <laughs> because um, No, I mean, I do do that, but I, I haven't... It, it takes time and it effort to sit time. down and go through, okay, mm -hmm. this well, person's constantly. And I see something, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to unfollow your stuff. <laughs> yeah, we you can know. still be friends. Mm -hmm. We can still be fake friends. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So before I have a final question, but before that, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I know we have some good things coming up from you. Um, in the near future, Uncle Uncle Z. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Z, right. So, um, yeah, there's the book, as you talked about, Philosophy on Golf. It's a great stocking stuffer. Discounted <laughs> yeah. down to $12.99 for the print version, I think. I discounted the Kindle version to like $2.99 for the holiday season. Good. Audiobook, I didn't do any discounts. I don't know how to do that. I didn't figure it out yet. <laughs> um, but uh, there's that. There's the Zlosophy podcast that's available anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all the other places. Um, there's the Zlosophy, Zlosophy videos on the YouTube channel. And um, in development, as you said, is there's no real working title yet, but I'm trying uh, putting together this idea for a TV show Um which I have a, a new twist on since I thought I talked to you the other day. I had shared with you that I wanted it to be like a modern version of the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood Show. Because, mm -hmm. I, you know, even though I thought he was kind of dorky growing up, <laughs> I watched it because, yeah. one, we didn't have a lot of options then. But, two, it was also like it was positive, right? Yeah. So somehow you're kind of drawn to that. We, there wasn't as much uh, 
connection to negativity in the world. And but now I see it as sort of a cross between that and the Chappelle show, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's the moral teachings and basic education, but done in a fun and funny way, kind of like Dave Chappelle did his show, but instead of, you know, videos about a racist KKK black guy <laughs> and, and a crackhead, it's more about, you know, these types of conversations. How do we make it into fun little fun videos and spread spread these messages to the world? So um, yeah, and I do, if you're, you can find out more about me and any of this stuff on my website, which is philosophy.org. Again, that's spelled like philosophy, but with a Z instead of a PH. Uh, you can contact me there about doing, I do talks on this stuff for schools, corporations, organizations, small groups, large auditoriums, yeah, all of that stuff. So Hit me up and uh, let's spread some positivity in the world. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I got one final question for you. Okay. If you could go back how you are today and talk to your 13-year-old self, what would you tell him? Gosh, uh, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> I guess in like a paragraph, like the main Yeah, the so uh, it's interesting because that's really the framework through which I'm trying to design this new TV show that I'm working on, right? Like how do we talk to kids specifically of that age, but make it interesting enough that parents would watch it with their kids too, mm -hmm. like a Disney movie or a Pixar movie, because it's fun and there's funny jokes for the parents as well as the kids. Um, but I think the first thing I would say is 99.9% .9 of the stuff you worry about doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And Here's what really does matter. We know that we're not going to be here forever. We don't know how much time we have. It's important that we try and do our best. Um, and uh, in order to do that, you know, you need to practice self-awareness and making good choices, which is what parents tell their kids all the time, right? But we don't listen to our parents. Right. So hopefully I would listen to myself <laughs> in a time machine. <laughs> But um, really, the, the most important thing through that journey of life is that the only thing we bring with us when we leave here, uh, I'm convinced of this, is the love that we share with others. It's an imprint on our soul that stays there forever. So bring your focus to that, right? The ego that drives most of us and the th material things and the things that we think about and worry about in life really don't matter. When we're One day, like I said, if we're lying on our deathbed, we're not going to we're not going to sit there and go, oh, I can't believe that person said that thing to me that one time and I got so offended for two years. Right. right? You're going to go, wow, that was a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And and from what I've found in, in these last few years of dealing with people as they're dying, as I told you about my cousin and then also this guy, this Mason, who's a Vietnam vet that I've been visiting for the last few months who just passed this week. You know, again, those, those things give you that perspective of what really matters in life. It, it just what matters is just living your life the best you can, being the best person you can, and taking it one day at a time. Um, because really, that's all life is. I don't know, another great book and writer is Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you know I him. I just and, and got a ticket to his event here in Boston oh, on June great. 1st. Oh, yeah. He's, I think yeah, I saw you post something about that. Yeah. yeah. So The Power of Now I read uh, when I was getting divorced. And I was in a really bad place and it mm -hmm. totally simplified things back to this very simple but hard concept to stay aware of and practice that life only happens one moment at a time. Mm -hmm. And it only happens in the moment you're in when you're in it. We in life think about all these things in the past or all these that have happened that we liked or didn't like or all these things in the future that we might like or not like. And in doing that, we don't actually live our lives. Right in the present moment that we're in this one right now, mm -hmm. right? That this is the most important moment because it's the one happening now. Um, so I don't know if that's a paragraph that, yeah. about <laughs> that would give some advice to a kid, but those are, those are the thoughts that I think about to, about sharing with kids um, that just to just do your best. And here's some, here's some resources, some videos some books, a TV show that allow that help us, stay aware of what it takes to bring our best to each moment and live our lives the best we can and do all we can while we're here 
And then we go on to the next thing, whatever that is. I know there's a lot of atheists out there these days, and mm -hmm. I don't judge anyone for their beliefs or their thoughts. Um, I think that it's sad to think that there's nothing beyond this. I Because I know in my journey, I've seen too much real evidence Me too. Uh, that, for that, and I hope that those people find that. But in the meantime, whether you believe in something beyond this or not, we can all agree that this is a finite thing that we're in and that we can all try to do our best one day at a time by ourselves and by each other. And if we do that, over time, that does make things better for future generations. Yeah. Because yeah, being our best is being kind, right? For sure. Well, you're doing good work. Thanks. I you are too. I appreciate you. Uh, super grateful to have people like you, not only just... I can't wait to turn the tables on you and bring, <laughs> bring you on my podcast I know. and sit back and let you talk. I know. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. No. And that I love that you're in close vicinity because... Um, you know, the more people, proximity yeah. is power. And I'm um, grateful to have met you and to yeah. interview today. And Thanks. I don't have anything else. Is there any last words you want to share? No, I think I've said, um, you, I think you probably get the idea that if you let me keep talking, just keep going. <laughs> yeah. So you should probably right. pick a stopping point and right. just leave this it as it. it is for now. T tune in soon to the Zelosophy podcast and you'll hear me uh, interview Jamie. I have a new deal over at Lex Media where I have a podcast studio yeah, and a producer. That would be cool. I'm like, I do it like this with <laughs> yeah. a computer and a microphone. So uh -huh. I don't even know what that's going to be like. I have to grow up in my podcasting life <laughs> and be responsible. Right. All right. Well, you heard it. Zilosophy podcast. I'm going to put all of your socials and everything where they can find you in the yeah. show notes. So, um, yeah, and that's it. We'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening. That was Mike Zildjian. I had the best time talking with him. Um, I look forward to maybe talking to him again. Now, apparently you guys are going to get to see me over on his podcast too. So let's make sure we follow him. All of his socials and everything you can find over at zilosophy.org. Z-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y.org. There you can find his podcast, his book, all of his socials, and even how to get him to come talk at one of your events. All right, guys, until next time.